Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Today is Monday, March 15th, which makes this, of course, an episode of Monday Madness. I know we usually kick things off with WTI pricing, but I've got another interesting statistic for you. This is the 52nd episode of Monday Madness, officially making the segment one year old. The first one was aired on Monday, March 16th of 2020 under the title of Monday Mania as I wanted to make a short show that covered the news headlines relating to the incredible inventory build that was a first response to COVID. Weird to think that here we are a year later and things are seemingly getting better. COVID and oil-wise. If anything, it perfectly encapsulates the dynamic and volatile world of energy and we at Rare Petro would like to extend our thanks for receiving your continued support. But... I know you didn't come here for me to get sappy. You came here for those incredibly revealing statistics and those fresh news stories. So let's get right into it. WTI pricing has made an excellent comeback in the past few months. A year ago today, we were climbing the final peak before the historic drop, and we were sitting at a price of about $53. Today, prices are at about $65 at the writing of this episode. Those of you who have been listening regularly, or others who do their own research, might have noticed that there's been a build in inventories for the past few weeks. Why has the price not reflected this? Well, firstly, OPEC Plus announced sustained production cuts, which was a huge, huge rally point for the markets, which continued to apply upward pressure. Secondly, I suppose I have to get into inventories, so we will tie it to WTI today. The most recent inventory report from both the API and the EIA shows a 12.8 and 13.8 million barrel build respectively. Not often do we see them with numbers this close together, but if you combine the past two reports from the EIA, we've added about 35 million barrels to our inventories. Remember that five-year average I brought up a month ago? Well, we were finally below that median of the range, but thanks to recent builds, we are approaching the upper quartile of that average, erasing almost three months of drawdown progress. Again, these are massive builds, so why have prices seemed to ignore them? Well, it's time we pull an old episode from the vault. Last week's episode, that is. I think one of the biggest factors at play here is actually further down the supply chain, like I mentioned with the massive gasoline draw last week. Well, we lost another 12 million barrels of gasoline last week, causing it to become increasingly scarce, and if you've been to the pump, increasingly more expensive. My little sister is still back in Iowa, and pump prices there are already about 30% greater than they were last month. I expect them to climb higher and higher, is we have absolutely broken the floor on the five-year average for gasoline. The low end of the five-year average is somewhere in the region of 250 million barrels right about now. We are quickly approaching 230, which is doubly bad as this is the exact time we need to be reserving more and more fuel for summer travel. I don't know about you, but I like taking road trips to national parks, just driving over to friends' places, or really just out to nowhere when the weather is nice and the tunes are bumping. That will become increasingly more expensive if these inventories continue to drop as aggressively as they have been. In more dystopic terms, we are in the neighborhood of about 28 days of supply if all refining was to stop today. Well, it already kind of has. We were operating at a limited capacity as the cold weather really did a number on Texas's refineries, and other capacity continued to decrease through last year as more and more refineries closed. Let's look at some other refining metrics, shall we? Propane. I do like grilling in the summer, but... We are skirting right up against that low edge of its five-year minimum, and a lot of people still use it for heating. Petroleum distillates, useful for automotive oils, jet fuel, or heavy-duty lubricants and all things industrial, also right at the bottom of their five-year range. While these things are not falling as dramatically as gasoline, they all highlight the main issue at hand. 
The demand for crude is still rising, but domestically, we're at a refining bottleneck. These prices of these refined products go up, I would not at all be surprised if oil prices also went up a little more as those downstream compete for the cheapest price of oil to flip as gasoline, distillate, propane, whatever. Again, this is just a healthy dose of speculation as inventories could continue to break above that five-year average, and the vast oversupply of crude oil could overshadow growing demand for these refined products. If you take anything away from this segment, fill up your tank as soon as you can because gasoline could be getting a whole lot more expensive. Woohoo! <laughs> The combination of WTI prices and inventories got a bit long and convoluted, but we're finally past it. These statistics would not be complete if we skipped over the rig count, so let's take a quick peek, shall we? Way back when the federal drilling moratorium was announced, I predicted we would hold steady or grow until about the middle of March. Well, here we are on the 15th, right smack dab in the middle of March, and the most recent report from Friday shows that we are now down one rig. I hate it when I'm right. If we dive into the nitty-gritty, the Haynesville, Marcellus, and Williston all took a one-rig gut punch. The Permian did add a rig, bringing their total to 212, but who will be the winner of this episode's second-place second stud of the week? It was an absolute photo finish between the Cano Woodford of Oklahoma and the super-deep Utica of the Appalachian region, as they both added two rigs. Ties like this come down to the greater percentage change, and the title goes to the Utica as they raise their total from seven to nine rigs, for a 28.5% increase. While it is sad to see an overall rig decrease, it is only one, and I don't want to discredit all of the incredible progress made in the past 10 to 12 months, but we've spent far too much time on our statistics, so it is high time we get into those news stories, eh? As for the federal drilling moratorium, we finally got some word. The moratorium was initially executed because it was claimed that legislation was outdated and needed revision. Apparently, what they really meant by that was that oil and gas is not paying enough. U.S. Senators Jackie Rosen of Nevada and Chuck Grassley of Iowa introduced the Fair Returns for Public Lands Act. The bill would mainly raise the federal onshore royalty rate by 50% from 12.5 to 18.75%, or more simply, to match the current federal offshore royalty rate. This will only be applicable to new oil and gas leases moving forward. Additional changes include doubling the lease rental rate for the first five years from $1.50 to $3 per acre, more than doubling the lease rate for the remainder from $2 to $5 per acre, move the minimum bid from $2 per acre to $10, increase the rental and royalty fee for all reinstated leases to a $20 per acre rental fee and 25% royalty fee, setting a minimum $15 per acre fee for expressions of interest in order to reimburse administrative costs, and a requirement for the Interior Secretary to adjust these rates for inflation every four years. If you didn't quite catch all of that, Basically, it just means more money for federal and local governments, although they already reap plenty of benefits from existing severance taxes. Senator Grassley said, quote, Big oil continues to take advantage of low royalty rates on federal lands. Congress has not addressed this issue for over 10 years, and since then, these oil companies have deprived the Treasury and the American people of billions of dollars. This is not right. It's time for my colleagues in Congress to end the oil company loophole, end the corporate welfare, and bring oil leasing into the 21st century. End quote. Now, this all does seem a bit dramatic to me, but these hikes are pretty significant. Fortunately, it is being implemented while prices are climbing a bit higher, as something like this would have completely disincentivized adding more American land to a portfolio in the midst of $35 oil. Still, if this bill is passed, if this does go through legislation, it is only more upward pressure on prices, as it will definitely hinder the rate at which people replenish their reserves. 
I'm curious to hear what you think. Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Please leave a review on whatever platform you listen to, or contact me at podcast at redpetro.com. I'd love to hear what your opinions on some of these matters are, and maybe incorporate an opinion segment where I talk about what you all have to say. Iran has been popping up in the news more and more frequently, and had a hand in our next story. A few weeks ago, a Greek tanker owned by a company known as Capital Ship Management Corps notified the U.S. that it may have unknowingly loaded Iranian oil on board. Since Iran is under sanctions from the U.S., this oil may not be transported, but that hasn't stopped Iran from coming up with clever solutions in the past. They've turned off transmitters to float under the radar, swapped oil between ships, and forged documents so that they could make it appear as if it wasn't really Iran selling the oil and it was coming up from a different supplier. Well, the United States decided they would like to detain the Greek ship and begin conducting an investigation. Just after they started, an Emirati oil and gas company claimed that the cargo was theirs and they actually sourced it from Iraq, but did not disclose the supplier. After recovering their goods, they sold to an anonymous buyer from China. Whether or not Iran was directly involved has yet to be discovered, and might never be. Either way, Tehran said the seizure of the vessel was an act of piracy, but also noted that it was definitely not their oil. As a spokesman for the Iranian foreign ministry put it, quote, The shipment does not belong to Iranian government. It belongs to the private sector. End quote. To summarize, a Greek ship was afraid of potentially carrying Iranian oil, but an Emirati official claimed it was theirs and that the oil had actually been sourced from Iraq, yet Iran had to chime in and claim that it definitely wasn't theirs. Oil really is a global market. This is just another drop in the bucket of tensions mounting between the U.S. and Iran, revolving around energy. Iran continues to mention that they have lost some $70 billion in missed revenues, thanks to the U.S., and repayment would be a prerequisite for returning to a nuclear deal. This whole thing is just so convoluted that I really have no idea where we go from here. Both sides want something that will only please themselves, so I would be surprised if a compromise was reached soon. As for the claims of piracy... It would definitely be piracy if we commandeered the detained ship and sold or used the oil ourselves, but a simple investigation into the legitimacy of the oil seems a far cry. Really makes you wonder why Iran decided to say anything about the situation at all, doesn't it? But that is the end of this episode. Thanks again for a full year of Monday Madness. Again, if you have anything to say about the show and want to get involved in the discussion, please email me at podcast at rarepetro.com or follow us on LinkedIn to kick off a conversation whenever we post a new segment. You can find plenty of educational and enriching content on our website, rarepetro.com. So head on over there to learn more about the dynamic energy markets. This is Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody.